Hi guys, welcome back to Skincare Anarchy. This is your host, Ekta. And today I have with me Dr. Ben Johnson, who is the founder and mind behind the amazing skincare line, Osmosis. So welcome, Dr. Johnson. I'm so glad that you had the time to call on to our show. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. It's a, it's a pleasure. Uh, pleasure is truly mine. And I would love for you to uh, get us started by talking a little bit about your career background and um, the journey that led you to create this line. Sure. You know, uh, it was an atypical journey for sure. I was uh, in, uh, in residency out of medical school. I was planning to become a sports medicine doc and yeah. I was in training for that and <clears throat> heard about laser hair removal and uh, basically started uh, a laser aesthetic clinic uh, while I was in residency for sports medicine. And somewhere mm-hmm. along the way, the, the residency is like, well, you can't do both of those. And I was like, really? Um, <laughs> so uh, my heart led me to, uh, to doing basically aesthetic medicine. And then um, while I was in that, um, uh, learned the hard way that there's a bunch of BS in this industry, in the aesthetic industry. Yeah. Uh, you know, for example, like I bought a bunch of lasers that were supposedly permanent for hair removal and, and they weren't. And then I bought a bunch of skincare that was supposedly did this or that, and it didn't. And, yeah. um, and then, you know, I even learned uh, that uh, even though I was doing, you know, Botox and injections, and this was, you know, 20, 20 years ago, roughly yeah. um, that, uh, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't a fan. So I I really come full circle from, uh, and so I ran a bunch of laser clinics. I tried to, uh, you know, start a nationwide chain. I ended up having about eight in four States before, um, uh, really just not knowing what I was doing and hiring my high school friends to be the managers of these clinics, led me to shut, the, shut those down. Um, but with the cool thing that came out of it and, you know, I think everything happens for a reason. And so the, the real important thing that came out of that is I, uh, started formulating my own line back then it was called cosmetics still around today. And, oh, wow. um, yeah. And I, uh, and it did well. And I, and I found that I had a knack for it. And then uh, a few years into that, I, um, started a second line that is osmosis today. And, um, and it's really just a, it's a complete 180 from, uh, most of everything that's taught in the textbooks to estheticians. It's, it's a 180 from most of what dermatologists uh, might uh, recommend. And, um, to be honest, it's exactly what the industry needed. And, and we were just talking right before we started this podcast. I, I love the name skin anarchy because, uh, we need this, like this industry, was just a, just not much better than a bunch of used car salesmen hawking uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know ingredients that really didn't have the efficacy uh, that they were claiming and um, so yeah. I, I I couldn't do that anymore so when I started my second line uh, you know I I focused on that and then yeah along the way I uh, I realized that internal wellness was a critical piece of the puzzle and that a significant number of skin conditions are actually coming from internal imbalances. So um, that's yeah. how we ended up uh, where we're at. No, that's an excellent point that you uh, actually mentioned that because, you know, I always wonder when I see a skincare line that's backed by, uh, you know, a medical professional, I always wonder um, what the real, you know, what the journey for that was. Cause we see so much, right? Like in the medical field, you see so much. Oh, yeah. And then to be able to apply all that knowledge, um, 
it has to be in a in a meaningful way. And and so I, I just want you to talk a little bit more about the 180. Like what was what yeah. was missing in the space that you really wanted to correct? Well, and let me just say, you know, not to d- d- diminish every single brand that's out there that's run by a physician, but I can tell you the 99% of the physicians that have skincare brands don't do it because they're passionate about skincare. Yeah. Uh, they, yeah. They do it because they're like, oh, that sounds like an easy way to make money. Have you heard about the profit margins you can make? You know, and that's, <laughs> That is the focus. And they tend to make products and they tell the labs, listen, whatever you do, this product can't cost more than a dollar in raw materials. And, um, you know, and so uh, they just never get to where, uh, where what's, you know, they, they don't, my focus has always been cost be damned. And I, I can tell you, we use one of the top labs in the country. We have used yeah. several labs, but, but one of my main labs is one of the top labs in the country. And they tell me my products are the most expensive products out there. And that's because yeah. I, at, at no time did I think about what the cost of the ingredient was. Well, that's not totally true. Some ingredients I did not use because it would make the products a thousand dollars or something. Yeah. But, um, but at no time was that the main focus. The main focus was, well, how do I get it? So where's my 180? Well, um, where should I start? Uh, you know, um, start from the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> that's the best place most of the time. Well, the 180, uh, the, one of the first things I learned and, and, um, there's this, um, there's a philosophy in the industry called corneotherapy. So it's not unheard of. I don't know if you've run across it, but it's basically mm-hmm. the philosophy that your skin does best when it's in a healthy state. And the industry for the last 30 years has focused on exfoliation as a strategy. Yeah. Um, they have focused on lasers and trauma-based rejuvenation, which is a farce. Uh, you know, they're, they're, uh, when you burn your face with a chemical or a laser, you create DNA damage that's permanent. You don't, you create wound collagen. So they, they go in and they measure in their studies about how collagen increased by 25% a week after we applied this amazing chemical. Yes, but they don't see that there's different types of collagen. I thank yes. you for saying this. Yes, please yes. continue. <laughs> yes. And so, you know, the skin, when it responds to being burned, it does create collagen and, and it's, it's collagen to repair the wound. And so it's not a net gain. It's not a rejuvenation event. And the, but the trick, see, this is, they always have their, their gimmick. The gimmick is turns out when you burn the bejesus out of your face, it swells for a week or two or four. Right. And yeah. so, so people yeah. are like, Whoa, my wrinkles are better doctor. Thank you so much. It's like, yeah, for two weeks. And then you Take know, your body for being in a state of stress right now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> trying to overcorrect. Exactly. Yeah. So I I became very disenchanted with uh, all of that. And even in my first line, I still had some, what I called, you know, more gentle uh, chemical peels, but they were still chemical peels. And so this was, this has been an evolution for me of awareness. And so, yeah, so I'm a believer in preserving the barrier. Uh, Exfoliation is almost never necessary. Now, if you go into your esthetician and you get a you know, a, a light facial that involves some exfoliation that is not going to slow anything down, not slow any of the progress down, but the daily yeah. exfoliation, the daily application of glycolic or lactic or salicylic at, at any significant dose. Uh, and the dose does matter. Like you'd certainly, there are products out there that might have acids in them, but they're neutralized. So they're not really, but they're not doing much anyway. They usually don't sell yeah. well because they, people don't see any response on their skin. But, the, you know, that's what people get attached to. And, you know, if they knew that by exfoliating, you not only dehydrate your skin. So they're like, my skin's dry. I need more exfoliation. You know, that's actually what most dermatologists say. It's yeah. Not. 
And I'm a general practitioner. So by definition, you know, after my residency and everything, I, I, I'm officially a general practitioner by definition, but I consider yeah. myself a skin expert at this point. You know, I'm 20 years in, um, we have treatments for almost every skin condition, which I know sounds outrageous, but once you realize that most skin conditions are caused by toxins or pathogens, um, yeah. and you address those, you know, you can get to the root of the cause and, and help people with a lot of things. So yeah. Um, what else on the 180? Um, well, the other part about exfoliation, which is crazy, is people exfoliate to lighten their brown spots. Well, yes, it's true that if you rush the skin, um, that it will have less time to repigment those areas. But they should know that the reason why you have brown spots is because your skin is trying to protect something there. It's not exactly. just making them randomly. Right. So, right. No, I think that's an excellent point. I think, you know, I just want to add, um, from the medical side, I just want to like add to what you're saying that, you know, any other organ in the body, you don't, if you have a fatty liver, you're not going to like take, you know what I mean? Like, um, yeah. I don't know, like cholesterol medicine to get rid of the fatty liver. No, it's there because there's, there was something going on. It's not going to correct overnight, you know? So it's not like any other organ in our body. We, we look at it like, okay, well give it time, let it heal, let it, you know what I mean? Go through the natural process. And I always wonder why we don't do that with skin. You know, it's, it's like, you can't keep bombarding it. Like you said, with irritants yeah. and then expect it to, you know what I mean? Like be very, very healthy. So well, and so there's another part of my 180 is that the vast majority of the quote unquote treatments for uh, irritated skin are around the idea of uh, immunosuppression. So, you know, if you use certain toxins, um, yeah, you're like, what's a steroid? Everyone thinks, oh, a steroid is treating my rash. No, a steroid no, it's is, is, <laughs> yeah, it is, doing the, it is, uh, it is, it's a terrible thing for your skin. Your skin, um, you know, dec declines in quality and, and, uh, and, it, and all it's doing is basically kneecapping the immune system. So you have to, right. the real question you should ask is, well, why is you, why do you have a rash? There's something that caused the rash, not what steroid should I apply to it? So that's part of it. I found in acne, most of the time when people are using acne protocols, um, it's an immunosuppression. So I have a unique view of acne. I think acne is a toxin purge. It's not about a bacterial infection. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, the skin is a, uh, it is, a, you know, it's a really special microbiome that uh, is really resistant in fact, they show that if you apply antibiotics to your skin within 90 days, the skin stops being responsive to them because it figured that like all the cells talk to each other and go, hey, yeah, uh, this is how you work around this. So, um, so yeah, I don't believe in immunosuppressing. Um, good. I don't either. <laughs> like, honestly, good, good. I don't either. And I think this is a really, really like just such an important point. I cannot emphasize enough everyone listening out there like please take notes of what Dr. Johnson is saying because honestly this is something that has perplexed me for years now is that the same idea of immunosuppression and that's why you know a lot of times um when I interview brands I bring up the idea of managing inflammatory you know processes that are leading to this rather than just this approach of topical skincare and, you know, hoping that, okay, it'll eventually go away. Oh, I have redness on my skin. Okay. Well, if I wash it enough or if I moisturize it, it's going to go, no, figure out why you're breaking out. So I completely, I completely understand you. And I okay. completely agree with you. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Well, I, I, there, there aren't a ton of like-minded people in this industry. So uh, that must be why we are um, hooking up on this podcast. But yeah. yeah, I, you know, even when it comes to rosacea, like 
it was such a funny thing. So for, for a decade, for 13 years, I've been saying rosacea comes mostly from digestive problems. I say mostly because I've only recently learned there is a, a maybe a 5% of the population where their rosacea is actually a liver condition. But yeah. um, uh, the, the funny thing was, like I, I would say it, I would tell the, you know, my fellow physicians and dermatologists and they would just kind of roll their eyes. And then about five years ago, they came out with a study and they're like, well, what we've found is that rosacea people are much more likely to develop a digestive condition. And, and I, I looked at the research. I was like, no, no, you guys have totally flipped the data. It's like, yeah, it's digestive condition. <laughs> yes. And so it was fascinating to me. And then I was, you know, I don't know, years ago, I was Googling random stuff and uh, I've somehow pulled up an article from a, um, it was a British Journal of Dermatology um, magazine from like 1930 or something. And it yeah. literally said rosacea was, was caused by digestion back in 1930. Oh, wow. So what's happened in our industry, if people are trying to understand, well, wait, why, why, why are the dermatologists getting it wrong? It, it, the answer is they're, they're brainwashed by medical school and residency where they're told drugs are the solution. You, you know, you're not supposed to explore and try to figure out the source of the problem. You're only yeah. supposed to manage the symptom. By the way, that got pushed even further when, you know, the way insurance manage it, they like, hey, if you can see a patient and write a script in five minutes, you can see 400 patients a day. Yes. So, yes. Oh. It's a greed thing, unfortunately, and it's a big pharma controlled thing. And so, um, you know, the Derns will tell you, oh, we can't use anything unless it's been run through the FDA trials. And, um, and you know, th that kind of uh, closed mindedness is why I think more and more people are seeking alternative. And they say that like 60% of people seek alternative therapies outside of Western medicine um, yeah. for their needs. And, and thank goodness. Yeah. No, I completely agree. And, um, you know, it's interesting. I want to talk to you about what, like, what were some of the pillars when you were designing your line? What were some of the things that you really wanted to address? Um, skin concerns that you right. felt, you know, you know what I mean? What was the, yeah. the founding basis? Well, I, you know, I, and again, people also have to understand that it, even these 13 years have been an evolution. So, uh, in the very beginning, um, obviously when I was focusing on aging, um, the, the focus was on, well, what actually, um, can make a fibroblast crank out more collagen. And yeah. I started to review, and, and in my first line I mentioned, I had used regular retinol uh, and all trans retinol. And I was all focused on, you know, trans retinol is better than cis retinol. And, um, yeah. but what I learned was in fact, you know, the skin has a variety of vitamin A's in it because it has a variety of uses for them. Otherwise it wouldn't yeah. be storing uh, the various, you know, uh, retinyl palmitate versus retinol versus retinaldehyde versus retinoic acid, right? And so, right, right, yeah. What what stimulates collagen is is retinoic acid, and the skin does not store that; it makes it. And so you go and you look. Well, what's the most efficient way to make it? Well, it turns out it's retinaldehyde, which is you know the precursor to retin A. And yeah. so, um, you know, I began. You know, one of the pillars was uh, learning that most retinols are actually not creating collagen the way people think they are. Um, yeah. What actually is happening is most retinols are uh, irritants to the skin. And so they cause exfoliation, which can yeah. generate more collagen because the skin is now increasing its turnover rate. 
And so people are like, oh, good. Increasing turnover is good. You only want to increase turnover on your skin's time. See, I'm a big believer that, that your skin is brilliant and yeah. you are, you need to, nothing you do should be second guessing how it operates. So if your skin turnover slowed at age 45, Mrs. Jones, um, I have a good explanation for that. Your blood supply has declined by uh, roughly 15, uh, 20% by that time. And, yeah. and, and so declines by about 1% every year. And so what your blood supply is what's feeding the nutrients for the skin to keep up its metabolism and turnover rate. And so right. it's, it's sort of adjusting and, and, you know, why does the blood system, you know, there's also some aspect of my view of it to listen, part of like, I think hormones are supposed to sunset over time. Don't, don't look at a 20 year old's testosterone and go, shoot, I need to be taking pills for that. Well, yeah. Through the skin, you know, you, you don't need to be forcing the skin faster than your body can handle in a holistic way. So we, right. we, think, we take this view of, um, you know, when it comes to age reversal, um, and I do think we're actually creating permanent age reversing effects. Um, you've got to, you've got to address the DNA. So I looked for the best DNA repair, uh, ingredients I could find. You've got to address, um, uh, you know, collagen stimulation in a way, um, where there's no trauma because anything yeah. where you hurt the skin to create collagen, obviously is not, as we just talked about, is not going to be a net gain in, in youthful collagen, it's going to be wound responses. And then it was about how healthy the system has to be. So I focus now a lot on internal health. Uh, there's a lot of people who, whose skin doesn't get well because their, you know, their diet's terrible or their gut is in terrible shape or. Um, yeah. You know, you know, that's one of the biggest things, right. Is gut health when it comes to yeah. skincare. And I'm very, very curious about that because I know that you know, there's so many, obviously there's so many pathologies that stem from just bad gut health. Right. And it's like for skin, I always wondered in terms of like acne breakouts or, you know, all these different things that we're constantly encountering, there's a direct link between what we eat and what we, you know what I mean? What we see on our face. So I completely, oh. I completely agree with you. And oh, I yeah. think that, you know, I, I think that it's interesting that the medical research in dermatology is not focusing on this, like, you know, again, holistic approach. They're focusing on this is the organ that we're treating and we're just going to bombard it. And that's, that's something that's always never sat with me. Well, no. so, in, you know, in terms of, okay, so I want to focus on your line and I want to talk about yeah. how it's, you know, all the products that you have, like how they work together. I want you to really go in depth um, in the science, if you can. <laughs> Wait, how long is this podcast? <laughs> it can be as long as we need it to be. Oh, wow. <laughs> <And honestly. Okay. laughs> well, um, well, let's, uh, you know, just to speak to gut health. Absolutely. And, and the crazy thing is people don't even know how much like, uh, they think they're taking the good supplements and they're like, well, probiotics are good for you. Right. So yeah. that's got, and I mean, I can't tell you how many people I've found who are gaining weight because of their probiotic or who are, um, whose gut is in uh, disrepair because of it. So, um, yeah, there's so many conditions. Candida is a huge, uh, component in skin, um, I've learned uh, the connection between candida and acne. So all, most acne of the upper face is candida generated. So what's happening is the excess candida creating toxins that go into the bloodstream and they dump out of the skin based on a skin map. So I don't know if you've seen my, my map of the face and the connection with organs, but yeah. over the years I've spent, you know, I, I spent a ton of time analyzing the, the face, uh, you know, the skin of my clients and my clients' clients and connecting it with their medical history and going, oh, okay, I see a trend here. So 
um, more, you know, it's a super exciting piece of the story is to know how the skin maps out and like your eyelids, upper eyelids, your adrenals, your lower eyelids, your kidney, your forehead is your colon, uh, uh large, in, uh, large intestine. Um, you know, your nose is your esophagus, um, yeah. around your mouth is, is, uh, the end of the colon near the rectum. So like all these different things line up. So to, speak to the products. One of the most exciting new products uh, I uh, came up with is a prebiotic. I do not believe probiotics are good for the body. I believe your DNA uh, is actually uh, what decides what your probiotic population is. And it's not about, because you know, what's crazy to me is in the literature, they say that your microbiome is created in the first two years of life. So depending on what you eat, uh, it determines your microbiome. Well, that that's just yeah. silly to me because it's like, wait, so Infamil, like all the babies that have had took Infamil formula, I have yeah. microbiome. No, it's not happening. So uh, and you don't get like you're getting crazy. Like you know, there are there are thousands of of um, probiotic strains. Um, I mean, thousands and thousands. I don't even know if the number is a hundred thousand different strains. So. Yeah. Um, you know, the idea that, oh, because you ate Gerber baby food and, you know, like, oh, you had that, that piece of, it's it just silly that food is going to be the source of that. Um, right. It is not. So um, based on that, I decided that it, what was really needed was a good prebiotic. Um, yeah. And the science was showing me that prebiotics mostly had a bias. So a lot of prebiotics that you take, like some people think, oh yeah, like sauerkraut. No, sauerkraut tends to promote a, 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 what it was fermented with and specific strains. Um, inulin uh, promotes uh, lactobacillus, which causes weight gain um, yeah. and uh, distorts the, anyway, so um, we're using um, macadamia nut and sea buckthorn oil um, and, and, and very specific blends uh, between the fruit, seed and pulp. Um, and it has, uh, it's, a, it's a superfood really. And so yeah. it feeds the microbiome recovery. So it takes about three months for the average person to restore their gut, as long as they're not on antacids, as long as they're not on, um, you know, uh, uh, another probiotic formula, um, yeah. they will get their own gut back. So that's a, a, one of the internals uh, and the science behind it. The really cool thing is I, I dual tracked that. So I was also looking to restore facial fat pads um, and so, you know, right, yeah, what right now, what we have in the industry, um, and in the world, honestly, is filler face. Are you familiar with that concept? Filler yeah. Face? Yeah. Everybody's cheeks are, you know, an inch out and they're, they no longer, they all look the same. They all look like they're related because right. they, they filled their whole face up with filler to, to stretch out their wrinkle. And, yeah. um, so what this does is this fills the fat pads you lost from when you were young. So it's the exact shape of your face, but it's plumped. And um, it's a fantastic way to get that done. Um, <laughs> I love that. I love that. that that's a really, um, I, I think that's a very, very new concept um, that people probably, you know, they haven't really gotten on board with that. And I think, you know, it's mostly the education around it. So when it comes to fillers, um, I've had some dermatologists tell me, you know, well, Botox and fillers is the way to go if you're aging and you don't like the way you look. But then, you know, it, it has, I've had the same questions because I've personally never gotten Botox or fillers, you know, and I'm in my mid thirties. And the main reason is I don't want a temporary fix for something. You know, if my skin yeah. is going to be wrinkled and it's wrinkling, I don't want to just pretend like it's not. I'd rather focus on healthy skin so that I don't develop skin cancer later on. You know what I mean? Or like, or oh, other things well, like sensitive this, skin or thin skin. Yes. And, and none of that addresses it. You know, in the old days, 
everyone was getting a facelift and they, and that doesn't help skin get younger either, right? That just distorts your, your look as well. And um, so, yeah, this idea of using your natural fat pads and replacing what was lost uh, makes so much sense to me. Oh, sorry about that. Makes so much sense to me. And um, it's, I mean, the results have been incredible. Like, I encourage people to check out our before and afters on the uh, uh, on how, what, how your face restores that youthful uh, plumpness. But um, the other thing you mentioned is Botox. I mean, Botox is, is proven to go to the brainstem in a uh, British uh, medical study. Um, yeah. So I don't know why people like people your age. It's a neurotoxin. Why are, we, yeah. why are we injecting our faces so much with it? Yeah, I hear you. And of course, yeah. it's going to go to the brainstem. I mean, like I said, it's a neurotoxin. I, I've never understood the concept. You know, well, you're, yeah. Well, the other part of it is it also kills your muscle. So uh, over time, your muscle becomes uh, thin and weak and your face starts to droop from it. So these oh, people are getting Botox and they're like, oh, I'm doing good for myself. Uh, and, you know, kids are being told to do it at 20 something. And it's like, what? What, what wow. are they doing? And what ends up happening is they get to 30 and their face is all, uh, uh, it's, you know, muscles, quite a bit of the volume in your face, holding up your, you know, your skin. And so you lose that. And now all of a sudden you're like, oh, now I need fillers. And, yeah. and, you know, fillers last 10 years uh, plus. So you end up being all lumpy and every, you know, you have to go in all the time to like put a little bit of filler next to the lump you've got left over. And uh, it's right. a horrible, horrible path to go down. If, it, if young kids are listening right now, don't, don't buy into the Kim Kardashian look. It is not natural. <laughs> um, she looked a yeah. lot prettier back when she was 25 than she does today, in my opinion. But I agree. Anyway. So, um... <laughs> as a woman i can say <laughs> no honestly no i think you're making a great point and i and i honestly think that you know one of my biggest like i've thought about this obviously a lot i have a podcast about skincare so like you know one of my biggest problem has been that um we don't we don't have the medical literature right so like we can't even rely in my opinion on fda approved products because that's still not addressing the concern because there's just not research there backing it right so like until i see that until i see like a huge volume of data that says this and this and this works i just it's very hard for me to believe any skincare line um that's just something like that somebody came up with in their kitchen you know what i mean because it's like there's no way that you right. have any claim on saying this is going to improve your skin health you have no idea we don't even know the you know the mechanisms involved in like you, you mentioned collagen production we don't know um you know what's stimulating the right collagen or not or not as much as we should know so you know it, it's right. just a huge problem well, there's and no money there's no money in uh doing uh, a bunch of trials on uh, the negative effects of retinol so they're not yeah. going to tell us about those there's no money in um you know they'll go in and they'll get basically most FDA research is funded by big pharma. So they're, you know, they're going down a path to prove something that oftentimes they know how to manipulate the data. It's just, so even if you're looking for the FDA research, you can't really trust that either. I mean, yeah. you know, a, a great example that's totally off topic, but like antidepressants, um, you know, Oh my gosh. Yeah. This yeah. big scam, the FDA, I mean, they had to do 10 different studies to just barely get above placebo results and a few of them to get approved. And, and I'm just telling you, like most antidepressants are placebo effects. So yeah, it, yeah. And, and people get addicted to them and then they're stuck on them and they can't get off of them. And anyway, so it's another story for another time. But yeah. You know, <laughs> no, back, to, back to the science of it. So I'll tell you just some of the science that I focused on, because I think, you know, 
going into every product is going to be. Yeah, uh, no, uh, I want you to uh, tell me the pillars, like the big one. Yeah, big, okay, tell the pillars. That's great. Yeah. So we talked about collagen. So, you know, part of my science was um, I had to stabilize retinaldehyde because retinaldehyde is the best retinol on the planet for making collagen because Retin-A is not, you know, what it turns out. In fact, the research shows Retin-A thins the skin over time. In fact, one year on Retin-A every day um, yeah. causes your dermis, your papillary dermis to thin by 18%. Wow. It's an outrageous number. And I, I point this out to dermatologists who are swear by Retin-A and tell every client to go on Retin-A. And they're like, well, one of them said, oh, that's a small part of the skin anyway. And I'm like, what? The papillary what? dermis? <laughs> like, what? <laughs> So uh, yeah, retin-A yeah. retin is proven to cause DNA damage. Retin-A yeah. uh, mangles your epidermis, causes dehydration, causes sun sensitivity, which makes you age faster. And it, uh, and it does promote collagen, but because it's a poison, remember the skin doesn't store retin-A. So when yeah. you put it in, in a big dollop on your face, you know, a few molecules might be doing a little anti-aging, but most of the molecules are hanging around disrupting the other processes. This is why the skin doesn't store it. It's too potent. So it makes it on demand. It says, you know what? And so what I did is I said, look, if I'm going to make collagen, I want to make sure the skin does it on its own timing. That is what retinaldehyde is all about. You, it's, the skin gets it. It stores it if it's, it, can, it can't make any more retin-A and it uses yeah it up to make retin-A. So that's one of the pillars we liposome deliver. So to me, delivery systems and skincare are not talked about enough. Absolutely. Um, yes. Yeah. Your skin is, uh, is really good at keeping stuff out, thankfully. And yeah. so liposomes are one of the most clinically proven delivery mechanisms and they show up to a 600% increase. So a typical vitamin A might only get two to 5% penetration. So yeah. a lot of people think, oh, I'm, you know, and they, the more, the better. No, the rest of it sits on your skin and causes other problems. But yeah. um, with two to 5%, if you get a 600% increase in delivery, now you're talking 12 to 30% um, of uh, that vitamin A. So the, the liposome delivery makes a big difference. So that's a big pillar in my concept. I have a, another pillar is increasing circulation. So I use ingredients uh, that are clinically proven to do that. Like, believe it or not, chlorella has this powerful um, uh, it's called neoangiogenesis, but it's a new blood vessel formation. Um, yeah. I, I use, uh, growth factors, uh, like, um, but Jeff, uh, well, so yes, <laughs> I mean, uh, fibroblast growth factor. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yes. Fibroblast growth factor, yeah. 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 So as, as opposed to EGF and I also have EGF, but people don't realize that if you just use EGF alone, you're actually um, distorting the balance in your skin. So I use stem cells to build growth factors. We use adipose stem cells. Uh, we have the highest percent of growth factors of any product I've ever heard about. Um, we have no, I want to ask you, I yeah. want to ask you, I'm trying, not trying to interrupt you, but like what, okay. So when it comes to stem cells and skincare, how does that work in terms of formulation? Because when I think about it, you know, obviously I'm going back to my research days and thinking Petri dishes, right? Like it's like, yeah. a, you know, cultures and stuff. So how do you create a skincare product and have stem cells and how is that preserved so that when you're applying it, you know, great question. Well, first of yeah. all, you know, we're not using stem cells in the product. The whole plant stem cell story was a BS marketing campaign that thankfully <laughs> fading fast. Um, and so, I mean, the, this idea that there's some, yeah, you're, this plant stem cell is going to convert into a human cell or, right? create, I mean, come on. <laughs> and, um, and it took like a, a, a decade to, to work that out of the system, but Oh my God. So anyway, um, human stem yeah. cells could never be used or animal stem cells. Some, some people actually do use like cow, uh, 
cow componentry again yeah it's like bovine de- derived or like yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and i don't think you're going to get any there is some micronutrient benefit to that like there's some feeding of the skin arguably but there's no there's no conversion of these stem cells i mean it's all it has to be treated you know it's not it's not going to be a live stem cell it's going to be a and it probably uh exploded stem cell right and so yeah fine whatever but don't use it so what we do and the only way to do it um, now i'm not speaking of say doing some some uh physicians some plastic surgeons are doing facelifts where they're harvesting your stem cells and then uh, multiplying them and then when they do the facelift they're injecting the stem cells into the face you know that's essentially fat transfer um you know the idea that the stem cell is going to uh do that much more than fat is unlikely but okay let's say a small chance that stem cells make a difference there um and stem cells certainly therapeutically for disease are showing some promise in some areas so what i'm talking about is taking a stem cell putting it in a petri dish and um feeding it and uh and and feeding it the nutrients that uh, stimulate it to produce growth factors that it would normally produce and we also use fibroblasts by way by the way because really stem cells on their own don't necessarily produce skin-based growth factors, right? They have, they're pluripotent. They could be going in a lot of different directions. So um, that's why, uh, but, but so, you know, the lab I work with figured out the secret sauce and I swear to you, part of the secret (laughs) sauce is that the chemist talks to the stem cells every day, like there is children, (laughs) you know, you have a green thumb, you know how people talk to their plants. Yeah. I'm telling you. There's I love to it. that. I love that. No, it works. I remember when I was in uh, in undergrad doing research, I used to talk to my cell cultures. <laughs> I understand. There you go. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're creatures. Somehow they're probably hearing you, I'm sure. So, yeah. um, with but, but through that process, through finding the right uh, nourishment, you generate growth factors. And then you speak to a great point. What about stability? Well, growth yeah. factors aren't super stable. So you have to sort of hone the process to create what are called exosomes. Exosomes are what your body naturally makes when it makes growth factors. And it's yeah. essentially this sort of liposome shell or this protective shell around the growth factor. It's got all the appropriate biomarkers. So the skin knows what it is, uh, even if it's in the shell. And yeah. Um, and it helps the, the product last. So we get a two-year shelf life out of it with most of them surviving, as long as, you know, you don't, they're not subject to maybe freezing or uh, extreme heat. But um, yeah, it's so- I so, love that. I love that yeah. you have a two-year shelf life. Wow. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's amazing. Yeah. And you have to test that, right? We actually yeah. clinically tested our stem factor, it's called. We actually clinically tested it for um, how, what is it, was its effect on the skin, you know, and we measured fibroblast activity in a Petri dish as well. But, you know, a lot of the tricks of the trade in, in the industry are the cheat is to do the ingredient testing in a Petri dish. Because yeah. when, you, when you test how some ingredient works on a fibroblast, like peptides, okay? I don't know how you feel about peptides, but most yeah. of them are oversold. And oh, so, yeah. Oh yeah. You know, they put a peptide in a Petri dish next to a fibroblast cell and the fibroblast cell responds because the peptide is made up of, you know, three to 10 amino acids. And maybe it in fact actually is biologically active at that time. But what they, people don't know is that most peptides fall apart in solution. So they're not even viable by the time they hit your skin. Now, number two, they don't penetrate if they are long chain peptides. 
And what I've always, and so I'm getting these debates with other formulators who, you know, their whole story is a peptide story. So they do not like what I have to say, but it's like, you know, why, if these peptides are so amazing, why are you, do you never see them as actually effective on acne, actually effective on scarring, actually effective on rosacea? No, no, no. They're always plumpers, plumpers. So this is the secret for your listeners. The, the, The industry is based on coming up with new ingredients that plump. So like there's this new vitamin A called Bakuchiol. I don't know. Bakuchiol. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't use it. I don't believe in it. (laughs) It's it's vitamin A alternative. If if vitamin A, they say it's a, I don't know. Somehow they say it's exactly like like a milder version of vitamin A or something. Yeah. It's, I don't, it's not, it does not. I don't even know what that means. I know exactly. (laughs) It's like vitamin A has roles in the skin that Bakuchiol is not doing. But anyway, the, the other part of it is it, it's a plumper. So what they do is they, they put it in the skin, they measure wrinkle depth over 30 to 60 days. And, you know, as it builds up in the skin, it starts to plump the skin, maybe through hydration for whatever mechanism. And, yeah. um, and I'm, not, I'm not against plumping. Like, I don't like glycolic acid plumping because that's wounding. But, yeah. you know, peptide plumping is fine. I just say don't spend a bunch of money on it because it is not worth it. And, um, yeah, I, so I focus on real uh, changes. Yeah. And I think, you know, to, uh, speaking to your point about the peptides thing, you know, when I was reading the literature around peptides, it really is not about the actual peptides. It's about the um, signaling cascade that they induce in fibroblasts. So I don't know how companies were able to sell this and then not, you know what I mean? Because the way that it's been marketed is more of like a, yeah, here's some, you know, peptides. They make up the essential components that you need in your skin. And we're just going to put them in your skin. But I never understood why nobody made a point about well like you said the delivery aspect how are you going to get them into the skin deep enough to where it's actually going to be a viable formula that you're using you know what i mean so that none of that is ever addressed and and was that one of the reasons see like i believe collagen manufacturing there are reasons why it slows and i'm not convinced that it's missing that specific unique peptide 17 peptide no like uh, yeah. So there's a lot missing to the story. I mean, I won't mention names, but you know, maybe a decade ago, there was a big, um, storyline out there from a dermatologist who was talking about how he had a, a muscle relaxing peptide and, um, that it was, a Botox. well, you know, like there's products out there today that say where it's a Botox like effect. Okay. So I like you, the, the idea that you could even get a peptide to the, these upper layers of your dermis is almost impossible. The idea that you could get it past that through the dermis, through the, through the uh, subcutaneous fat, past the fascia and to the muscle itself to relax it is so silly and yeah. scientifically nonsensical. So there's, just, well, I, yeah. you know, I actually want to go back to how you were talking about the, um, the lipid, um, the lipid soluble delivery system that you you mentioned, because I think that's a a beautiful point and everyone listening out there, you know, from what I know about just norm, you know, general basics of dermatology is that, you know, our outer layer of skin is lipophilic, but then the, the deeper we go into our layers becomes hydrophilic. So, you know, being able to cross that initial barrier is I think the real hallmark of skincare, right? I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. That's exactly right. And the thing that people misinterpret about liposomes is that they carry this product all the way to the, whatever target, whether it's the DEJ, which is the base of your epidermis or the dermis itself. The reality is all I really need to do is get past your lipid barrier. And so what these liposomes are doing, and it's phosphatidylcholine, if people are interested, it's, it's, it's a pharmaceutical grade, 97% pure. Um, It's, it's, it's the gold standard. 
uh, for liposome delivery, but there are other people that are using chemicals to create shells. But my problem there is it's less bioavailable. Um, yeah. So, um, you know, all I'm trying to do is basically carry this active ingredient past that lipid barrier. Once it gets to the next layer down, um, you then you are, um, you're, your the ingredient itself gets taken in like it, it the skin yeah. is surprising in that way it, that it can actually uh that it actually i don't know i think it actually recognizes these ingredients and um i it's you know it's hard to really describe how the body knows like when you take a supplement how it knows to take it right to where it needs to go um, yeah you know because it's such a massive amount of activity going on but i i this is where i think just the body operates on this really high level of intelligence and uh there's no other explanation for it like we do too many things without yeah. thinking about it that are, are inexplicable you know i completely agree with you and i think that you know this actually leads me to my next uh question about sourcing um ingredients because obviously you know we talked a little bit about how um it can get expensive to make an effective product right and so i want to talk a little bit about what your journey was with that in terms of um finding like, how did you source your ingredients, you know, in, in terms of the formulation? Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm, I have like three ingredients right now that I can't find anywhere in the world. I, I can't get, I can't, you know, so I, I find myself sometimes hitting these roadblocks. Um, so for example, what's the name of it? It's uh red, red mangrove bark oil. Hmm. I'm, I'm looking for that. I've never even heard of that. Yeah. <laughs> It, it's, it's used on, uh, it's used in Cuba still today, but I can't seem to find anyone in Cuba. Um, <laughs> it's used in Cuba today on, um, infected cow udders. <laughs> what? Not the only use for it right now, but it's, <laughs> it's actually an amazing, um, anti-inflammatory, like I'm giving away secrets to my competitors right now, but it actually is. I wish I could find it. Right. So I went all over and around the planet looking for who had, who grows these trees, you know, Anyway, so sourcing is tricky. And I will tell you one of the secrets, um, you know, again, I'm giving away a little bit of an insider secret. That I'm not <laughs> sure everyone knows, but what I do is I tell the lab, I want to provide that raw material. And okay. what that does is it takes out their markup on it. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Every okay. lab has like a hundred percent markup on an active material. So if you, if you throw in like retinaldehyde is out of control, expensive. Yeah. And um, so, and I, I don't provide that one. I couldn't get away with providing that. I tried. Um, but honestly, uh, my lab figured out how to stabilize it better than I did. So I was fine with it, but no, there are other ingredients that I'll actually, uh, I will source them from the remote parts of the world. Uh, sometimes, you know, from us sources and, um, if I supply them and it might cost me 75 cents per raw material per bottle, but that's a lot better than a dollar fifty because trust me oh yeah i know like they, they multiply like these numbers multiply fast in this industry no i've actually heard that i've heard that the whole process of like you know creating a product and finding the right ingredients and then having a lab that can actually put them together the way you want is an extremely lengthy and very very you know expensive ordeal so i you know yeah. i i completely understand that and i know there's a lot of buzz around the idea that well you know a lot of skincare lines they like to use these exotic ingredients, right? But it's like, if they're working, if there's an anti-inflammatory yes. effect, or if there's something that's really beneficial there, then I'm okay with some weird tree extraction. You know what I mean? But it's like yes. the science has to be there. 
Yes. So I find the science like, first. Yeah. 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 And exactly. so it's like your line, I would not hesitate picking up something that you created and knowing that you've done the research. And, you know, this also leads me to my second point of people love saying, you know, dermatologists are the, you know, either it's a dermatologist that comes up with it or a chemist. But I genuinely believe that if you don't have a doctor and a chemist working together, how are you ever supposed to come to an ideal formulation? You know what I mean? Like chemists don't know the signaling and stuff that we're discussing here. They don't know about all of these other areas of medicine, you know? So, Um, yeah. And honestly, I mean, I, you know, you can see by the the number of skincare products that are out there that are just BS or junk or toxic to just to know that it does take some, it does, it takes a unique, unique mindset. And I've only found a few labs that really um, operate that way. Most labs operate old school. They do what's known. They use the same ingredient. Remember all the same companies that provide raw materials are going to every lab. So they're, Oh, I've got this special new plumper. It does this. And, and, and they try to give you science because they know that um, the, the formulator will eat it up that, They've got some, uh, you know, a neural pathway signaling effect. That's the reason that it reduces redness. When in reality, the reason it reduces redness is because it's toxic to the skin. And yeah. so, um, you know, they're, they're, they're tricking us all the time or they're attempting to trick us all the time. And um, it's a tough industry to succeed in. And I don't think many products, I, very few products are getting permanent results. Very few products uh, are using strategies that work with the skin. Um, but you said something else that I wanted to uh, further elucidate, which was... uh, The chemist thing? Well, no, it was the, um, oh, getting them to to work together. So um, what it comes down to is the the formula, this has been the hardest part for me. And I'm the first to tell you, my formulas don't check all the boxes that most people love about skincare, which is, it's very white. It smells perfect. It's... um, You know, like, you know, when you use liposome delivery, it kind of has a, a tacky feeling on the skin. It's a, uh, it's, it's, it's barrier supporting. It actually is UVB protective and it has all the benefits you'd want, but it doesn't, yeah. it's not like a smooth silicone feel, you know? And so right, um, right. people have to get over that as they're like, they have to recognize where their value is and the value is in the performance. And Absolutely. So I had yeah. to, I bypassed that. So part of what I do that most people don't do is you know, I tend to run with about 30 to 40% active material. Um, okay. Wow. That's yeah. really, really high. Yeah. Really high. And yeah. so that's why my products have a lot of color to them. And that's why some of them are darker. Um, and so there's, uh, yeah, it's, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I try to explain to people, it's more like a concentrate, you know, you can use less. Yes. Um, I love uh, that. You know? Yeah. yeah. Um, I, love that. I want to tell you about one other ingredient. So on the, in the ingredient front, I have a patent on a few things and several patents pending, but um, one of my patents is on an ingredient called trioxalane. Did you see that in my line? Uh, I, I don't know much about it. So I'd love to okay, talk yeah. about it. Um, not, ma- not many people know about it. And it was, and it wasn't something that I just magically came up with. I actually, um, you know how things happen, you know, a client says, you need to meet this, this doctor who's, um, you know, working on a product for HIV. And I'm like, okay. You know? And so, um, I meet this guy and yeah. it turns out this ingredient trioxalane does work on HIV. He did clinical trials in Kenya. He, he got you know thrown out of medicine. Uh, you know, the, everyone poo pooed him. It's actually, it's actually an incredible product to in, uh, take an orally to help fight viruses. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a stabilized trioxygen molecule. 
Yeah. And anyway, the long story short on, 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 as a topical is that it's incredible. It's an incredible anti-inflammatory. It's an incredible um, uh, antibacterial, but not in a way that harms your skin's microbiome. So, so Interesting. If, you, okay. if you use, uh, like a lot of people used to say, oh yeah, you get a cut, you know, pour hydrogen peroxide on it. Well, yeah. that's actually a bad idea. It, it kills uh, the good bacteria that are helping um, restore that wound. It actually causes all this free radical damage. You know, it's a bad yeah. idea. Well, this yeah. is an oxygen molecule that's stable on entry, and it actually is going to the immune cells of the skin and not to and not being you know wasted uh, on the surface as a free radical doing whatever free radicals do. Wow, why is that? Yeah. I mean, I know I'm a huge nerd. It's stabilized. <laughs> it's stabilized, okay. so it's just a unique way of making it. Um, so I had to make. So anyway, I partnered with this doctor. We have yeah. our own lab in Florida where we make this raw material. As far as I know, we're the only people in the world making this raw material, and oh. uh, and and part of what I think keeps people away is that it's patented, but. It's incredible. Smells like ozone. So you put it on your face, you're like, what's that? You know, I had one girl just yeah. tell me the other day, why does this smell like a swimming pool? I'm like, no, it's ozone. You know, it's not chlorine. <laughs> um, but yeah, it is, yeah. Um, it is so, so good. And it actually, it permanently heals the oxidative damage in the skin. So it has permanent effects on texture, permanent effects on age spots. Uh, it's, it's really incredible. So wow. that's a good example of an ingredient where I would not have known that that was one of the pillars in skincare because I didn't think it was possible. And then yeah. you run across somebody somehow, you know, you stumble. And, and I think a lot of it has to do with my intention going out. Like I'm very much like, I, I want the best. I want, I want the real answer. I want the thing that does the real result. And yes. since that's, well, you, you believe in discovery driven solutions. I totally understand that. You know, I think anyone you know, it, it, the, here's the thing with skincare for me, and I'm going to be honest. I think that, you know, if somebody does something right, you don't need to go out there and keep replicating that. You need to start building on it. You know what I mean? So it's like the, a lot of the lines and a lot of the uh, founders that I speak to, it's like they have these core ingredients that they're working with. And that's wonderful. And I, I know there's literature out there and there's a lot of, you know, whatever, but you're just creating another product that does the same thing as X, Y, and Z product. So yeah. In, in terms of just sales and in terms of just like the, you know, the skincare industry, right, as a whole, how are we ever supposed to get past that until we understand the science? And that's where I get stuck because it's like the general consumer, do they want to know the science or do they not want to know the science? Because at the end of the day, if you really want to use skincare to benefit your skin, you're going to have to learn the science, period. <laughs> like, well, yeah. And, you know, yeah. people are not going to be doing that most of the time. I mean, your listeners probably are, but um, the, the, uh, I, we're, we're, I just talked the other day about like, we're, we're going to set up a section on our website for skin nerds only, uh, where we do the deep dive, you know, and we show them the research. Cause I keep wanting to put that on my website and all my marketing people are like, Oh no, it's too much for people. They, they'll turn away. They'll, and I'm like, I don't know where the, I disagree, Ben. I disagree. I think you should do it. I'll be on it every day. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, and I, I've already sort of, I mean, you'll find my website if you keep chasing down a, a different uh, pages, you'll, you, there's a, just a, a ton of information, but, um, you know, it's all new, right? I mean, I, I, it's nothing that, that you learn in school. Most of it, like mapping the skin, um, and, and identifying the, like what I say the causes are for acne. So for example, um, I believe acne is a toxin purge in all cases. And mm -hmm. so what, you know, when they say, oh, but there's this bacteria. Yeah. That bacteria 
Propionis bacterium is yeah. um, is a uh, it it's one of the key digesters of toxic waste. That's yeah. why it's present when they do the biopsy uh, of bacteria. So, and then people say, oh, but there's these new strains. I'm like, yeah, because those people are putting out this other toxin and that creates a, a different bacteria comes in to digest that waste. And so it's all explainable. Um, but the problem is it's so new and, um, you know, we don't have the, the funding to do the millions of dollars of research to, to get it redirected. The industry's not going to pay for that. Um, so right. my hope is that through success, through word of mouth, which is really going well right now, um, that we, we, people start going, wow, this makes so much more sense to me. And, um, yeah. that's really what I, I tell a lot of people, like logic is my main tool. Like, you know, people used to say, for example, melasma, Yeah, melasma, uh, you know, and, and, and one third of women who take birth control pills develop. And if your listeners don't know, it's like brown pigmentation on the face, usually on both sides of the face or across the forehead or across the upper lip. And yeah. it, it basically, you ask your derm and they'll tell you it's permanent and you should take this poisonous lightener called hydroquinone. Um, and uh, so to damage the bejesus out of your skin and oh, by the way, it might turn bluish black permanently, Oh um, my anyway, God. all this stuff. Right. And so yeah. they said, well, I, so when you ask, well, why does birth control cause melasma? The answer is always, oh, it's a hormone imbalance. And it's like, no, because <laughs> why does liver transplant cause melasma? Why do uh, certain uh, uh, antidepressants cause melasma? Why does pregnancy cause melasma? Well, yeah. when you start to add it all up, what you learn is liver damage is the, the root cause. And so that's where I focused my remedies is liver repair supplements. and Which all goes back to detoxing. That's, that's yeah. completely makes sense. Yeah. 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 Continue. And so, yeah, no, it's, it's so all, you know, these, these, when you when you, you start using logic and reason, you realize, but wait a minute, if I have hormone imbalance from birth control that causes skin to turn brown, why does not my whole body turn brown since it's in my whole body, right? Like, oh, you're, you're, yeah. it's such a silly explanation. And then I say, okay, well then if it is just about the pigment, why do, do, does melasma have dermal inflammation underneath it? What's causing the dermal inflammation? And so it, there's what's happening here is a lack of intellectual curiosity, a lack of chasing down the rabbit hole of reason. You know, they go one or two layers into the reason. And, and this is what I, I, I'm, I'm sad doctors do this too often. They, they only get enough reason to use whatever remedy um, to make sense for that remedy. But they don't actually go, but wait, why? Is that happening? Well, that's that's the crux of allopathic medicine, in my opinion. I mean, I'm going to be very honest with you. Everything is not, you know, I've had dermatologists tell me, for example, there's an FDA approved option, so I'm going to use it. Um, for example, um, I brought this up in my previous episodes about Accutane. And I was, you know, discussing how when I first got introduced to Accutane, it was like the scariest thing of my life. You know, it was like, um, basically your ovaries are going to stop working. You know what I mean? All these like side oh. effects. Ah. And I was like, you know, and, and when I talked to dermatologists, I was like, well, there's got to be an alternate to Accutane, right? And they were like, and most dermatologists are like, no, if, the, if it's there, if FDA approves it, I'm going to prescribe it. And that's fine. But back in the, you know, back in the early 2000s or, you know, 90s, what everybody got Accutane. You know what I mean? <laughs> like every single person who had acne went to a dermatologist, put on Accutane, had a bunch of side effects from it. Yeah. And I just never understood why that never changed. Well, so, you know. Accutane is a great example of a medication, highly toxic, as you said, affecting multiple organs in the body. Um, uh, you know, I, 
I, I remember just a recent story of, of a, someone who um, needed eyeglasses after Accutane. Like it literally ruined her eyes to the point where she has permanent vision change. Yeah, and, vitamin A hurts your eyes. Yeah, exactly. Yes. And it's and it's a toxic form of vitamin A. And, you know, and so when you push them on, well, why does it work? And it's like, well, there's not really a good explanation of why it works. I'll tell you why I believe it works. I believe it works because it poisons your skin as one of the organs. And so your skin won't toxin purge because it's being poisoned and it's, it's immunosuppressed. So yeah. it's an example of how it's kind of like when people uh, go on psoriasis medicine, psoriasis medicine, and they're, it's, it's a poisoning their body to the point where they're no longer able to mount an inflammatory response in their skin. Um, yeah. That's not a, the way to go. So, yeah, I, um, I wish the system wasn't the way it is. I don't know if or when it can be remedied. Um, you know, the, the, the key is people like us need to get out and share, uh, our make some noise. <laughs> yeah, make some noise. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And then, you know, honestly, I, I, these are my favorite kind of interviews. Genuinely, I'm telling you, because I think that there's no, you know, again, there's no shortcut to knowledge, you know, and if you don't, if you don't find your, you know, consumer practices on the basis of knowledge, then you're just clicking, you know what I mean? And adding things to your card. I just don't, I, I really want to see the consumers get to a point in skincare where it's like, we don't want to, we don't care what new hyaluronic acid, you know, thing you came out with. No, I need to know what my skin needs. Do I even need this? Instead of just putting everything on their, you know, your skin, regardless yeah. of what age you are, regardless of any com comorbidities that you have, you just, you know, you can't have this one, one solution for everybody's problems, you know? Right. So, yeah. yeah. I, I think it's going to be really hard for them. I mean, you're giving them a lot of credit um, where, <laughs> I mean, you have to know that physicians, everyday physicians with their science mind and all their background are getting duped by skincare companies and their BS lines about how their product works or what that ingredient is and why it's special. So it's hard to imagine in the marketing campaigns, as you know, are, are, are multi-million dollar campaigns that are designed to trick you just enough for you to think this is exactly what you need. And so it's really is, it, it takes truth tellers like us yeah. for people to go, Oh, wait, what? And, and, and consider this. And then, and then I, they have to, I'm a big believer in following your intuition, you know, and then you rely on your intuition to give you some direction. Um, right. But the industry is broken. Trauma is the lead strategy in rejuvenation, which is nuts. And when we know trauma ages, you know, it's like there's scientific evidence, trauma ages, why you think trauma is the way to go. Um, right. Of course, right. I get emails all the time from people who are post laser post chemical peel and they're permanently scarred. And wow. doctors don't even, you know, they just like, eh, you know, what, you know what they say to them? Well, let's try this other laser to fix that. You know? <laughs> so oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah. I don't understand how anyone could go into a laser treatment and feel like you're just benefiting your skin. No, you're literally damaging. It's a laser for God's sakes. Like, what do you think is going to happen? But no, I, I completely understand. And I, and I love how much knowledge and, and curiosity and, you know, just deep diving has went behind um, your vision and your, in your line. I, I, I want to ask you this question because I think um, you're probably the best person I've come across to ask is there's this new concept now um, in skincare and skin health that um, the more products that we use, they're going to eventually seep into our bloodstream and cause downstream effects. Now, how do you feel about that, that claim? Um, so there are ingredients like I won't use parabens because 
you know, there was all these stories, well, parabens are fine and your skin, and it's like, no, well, if you're finding parabens in breast tumors, then uh, parabens aren't fine. They're an estrogenic toxin. And, uh, you know, that's a concern. Um, a lot of skincare doesn't penetrate. Um, there are certainly ingredients that I think people should be wary of, like uh, a lot of artificial sunscreens um, have hormone, uh, you know, endocrine disruptive effects. And um, so there, there's definitely, and, and what's happening is, so sunscreen is something that unfortunately, because um, I'm not a big fan of artificial sunscreens, and they, uh, unfortunately, people just slather them on yeah. over, all over their bodies, right? And they're just like uh, every day. And, and so they think they're doing themselves good. And, and so the, in that case, you're going to have a lot more of a concern uh, when it comes to bioabsorption and, and those effects. Um, right. My take is generally that most of the skincare ingredients are not that toxic um, yeah. that you need to worry. Um, the, the, the absorption is much less than most people would think, but it, it is absolutely true that you should be mindful of the formulas you're buying and to pay attention to the ingredients that are either causing skin harm or can cause, you know, other harm, you know, if absorbed. Uh, but right. I would say that's a bit overblown as a story. Yeah. Uh, like most but, things yeah. in beauty. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, like I heard that today, um, one of my estheticians was asking, about an article she read where they were talking about, well, the problem with vitamin A is you keep using it and you down-regulate your vitamin A receptors. Mm -hmm. And um, it's an interesting thought. I mean, the nerve uh, receptors definitely up-regulate and down-regulate, but I do not believe vitamin A receptors do. And number one, and number two, it's, it's not the ones you need to worry about. Like your retinoic acid receptor is in, you know, it's, it's active 24 seven. It's not downregulating. It's not. Yeah. You're just, you're not going to just get rid of a, like a membrane protein or like, you know what I mean? Like a channel or anything. You're not going to do, there's no way. Yeah. <laughs> it's not yeah. just going to go away. Yeah. I mean, it, it, I, I yeah. totally agree with you. And I think there's so much science here and I could honestly talk to you for hours and I'm going to have you back by the way. <laughs> yeah, well, I think they come back because this is probably enough for, uh, enough for uh, their, the listener's pleasure for, uh, for now their brain is swimming and yeah, yeah they're like, to come yeah, back. look up all these words that we just, I would absolutely love to have you back. And I want to do a sure. deep dive actually into each one of your products, because I think okay. this is exactly what skincare needs, what yeah. you're doing. And I, and I'm, so behind everything that you're doing because this is what I've been waiting to see in skincare. I'm not going to lie to you. I mean, you know, am I going to say that I haven't had any results from other skincare? No, because I have, you know, I put on an overnight mask. My skin looks great the next day. I can apply my makeup all good. But when it comes to true skin health, I don't feel like those products are geared for that at all. So there has to be this complete, you know, there needs to be a reevaluation of how marketing is done for skincare products, in my opinion, because, you know, there needs to be a distinction between, you know, right now it's medical grade skincare versus not right. But it's like, it goes far beyond that. It's not just about medical grade skincare. It's about, um, you know, the customization of skincare, skincare based on your concerns. It's just delivery systems, you know, but there's a lot of medical grade that's just really harsh and that's, all that the medical grade part means. It doesn't mean that it's actually more effective, just more harsh. Exactly. So, um, yeah, I'd love to talk more about it. And uh, so we'll, uh, to be continued. Thanks so much. For yes. Having. Thank you so much. This was such an honor to host you. All right. Take care. We'll talk soon. Thanks. Bye-bye.